Gentlemen, welcome to the Alpha M Podcast, the podcast where I talk business, self-improvement, lifestyle, and more. Whether or not it's just me sort of talking, a little bit of audio action for you to enjoy, or me sitting down with a special guest to find out more about the steps they took to become successful. Whether or not you're listening to this on the go, you're sitting at home right now listening, I appreciate your time. And so if you're ready, let's dive in to this next badass episode. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Alpha M Podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest, a friend of mine that I've known for years. One of the first people I actually spoke to on the phone in the sort of men's style, lifestyle space. I actually believe I I talked to you before I actually met Antonio Centeno and yourself, Brock, in in uh, Anaheim, California, prior to uh, prior to the uh, the first style con or influential conference. Anyway, Brock is an entrepreneur. He has the modestman.com website. It is a blog. It is a shop. It is a um, it is a place and a resource for men of modest stature. Also is uh, running the the incredibly popular YouTube channel, The Modest Man, with over 300,000 subscribers. And was I, did I tell you to start a YouTube channel? Was that me, Brock, or was that somebody else? You did. We actually, <laughs> we spoke before I ever made a video. And then shortly after our first conversation, I made my first video, which I was just watching. It's really bad. Don't watch it. <laughs> but anyway, Brock, thank you so much for being here. Uh, guys, Brock is an incredible guy that I've known for many years, and it's been incredible getting to know you better over the years with at the uh, the Men Influential Conference. But the thing that really sort of intrigues me and inspires me about you is that you sort of identified a problem and you went after it in terms of solving a problem that I that I assume was something that you faced and I faced. We have something in common. We're about the same height. We're five foot six, or you're five six, right? Are you taller than me? That's what I say on paper. Probably five, on five paper. and a half. <laughs> <laughs> With the right shoes, though, or boots. My exactly, God, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, tell everybody a little bit about your story. I would like to for you to go back a little bit because there's probably a story prior to you actually launching the website and the YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started and, and where it all came from. Yeah, sure. And uh, I want to say, you know, you know this, but I want to say for everybody else, you've been uh an incredible friend over the years. So um, it's uh, really cool to be to be doing this. I'm, I'm glad you have a podcast. I think it's a really good format for you. And uh, yeah, I appreciate all the support over the years. So I'm, I'm glad glad to have what you happened in my to life. your podcast. Actually, we'll get into your podcast in a second. Go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we can talk about it. But uh, so I, I have kind of like a, a weird story. I guess like a lot of people are in this industry. I, um, I didn't set out to do anything with like men's style or digital media. Uh, I actually graduated with a psychology degree and I had no idea what to do. So I worked various like corporate jobs. You know, I worked in communications, worked in marketing for a while, and I knew I wanted to be my own boss. Like my dad was an entrepreneur and I knew I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what, and, um, actually tried my hand, uh, in the music industry for a little while. Uh, Rapping. I, I, yeah, <laughs> actually took a page out of your dad's book. I played drums. Really? Yeah. And so I quit my first job after like maybe two and a half years in the workforce. And I tried to run a recording studio and basically like play music full time. And, um, I like lost some savings. Like it didn't work out, you know, Yeah, but, yeah. but it was fun. It was the first time I, I was like self-employed and I liked that aspect of it. It just wasn't like, if I did it again, I would do it totally different. Like I'd do it through YouTube. I wouldn't try to run like a services business. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, that didn't work out. Uh, I went back to the corporate world. Basically, my friend got me a, a job at this software company. 
extremely boring. Like it was just a paycheck. Um, didn't last long. I lasted a couple of years of that. And I quit that, went to South America for a few months, um, started the modest man, tried to grow it. I, I think I had my expectations for how much money I would make from the modest man were like unrealistically high. So wait a second, hold on, hold on, hold on. There, 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 hold on. You started the modest man prior to leaving your corporate job though, right? This was sort of like a side thing that you decided to start doing or, or how did you identify that there was an issue or a need in what you were doing and what you were talking about? Because that's kind of one of the things that, that fascinates me as an entrepreneur, like what is the spark? What was that thing that said, okay, you know what? Maybe there are other guys like me or that are there are other guys that are interested in this and maybe there's a market for it. And that's kind of how I started my YouTube channel. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't know that much about style, but maybe there are other guys that just want basic advice on, on how to look better. So what was the spark that kind of got you thinking about there might be a market for this? So when I was working, actually my first job, it was kind of a startup, like people dressed really, not like business, but like cool, you know, like kind of like cool business casual, smart casual. I did not, like I was wearing ill-fitting clothing. I, no one ever taught me how to dress. I have great parents, but they never told me how to dress. And, um, I remember there was one guy at work who was really well-dressed and I had gone to this meeting with, with my boss and I brought my old like college backpack to this meeting. And after the meeting, he told me in, you know, not so gent gentle way, get a real bag, you know? <laughs> and, um, so I had this colleague who was like really well-dressed and I asked him, I was like, how, how are you so well-dressed all the time? Which is, you know, as a guy, it's like, that's a bit of a pride swallowing, you know, experience. And he, he was like, Oh, I go to Nordstrom. I go, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to those stores too. And he kind of casually mentioned, I get, he gets his clothes tailored. And I was like, Hmm, I think that's the problem for me. Was he, was he also a, a short dude like us? He wasn't huge, but he, he was a little more average, I would say. Okay. So he didn't have as, as many problems with fit, but still it was kind of a light bulb moment. And, uh, I remember getting my first pair of jeans hemmed and it was like, it, you know, from then on, it was just like this snowball. Like I got, I got really into it. And at the same time, I was kind of, I was learning a little bit about like blogging and like the, the idea of like an online business or passive income. And so these two interests in like dressing better and um, having some sort of presence online kind of like converged in the modest man. Are you happy that you went real targeted with the, the height aspect or do you wish that you would have went more broad in the beginning? Talk a little bit about the, the choice to go sort of niche versus more, more overarching or broad? I think at the time, considering the platform, a website, um, and, and the time, which was like 2013, I think niching down was a good idea. And I, I still think if I, if I were to start a new website right now, I would, I would go very niche. And then once you have an audience and a little bit of domain authority, like SEO power, you can expand from there. But like for you, like on YouTube, I think casting the widest possible net makes more sense than going super niche. So I think it kind of depends on, on your platform. So you start the website. What year was it that you started? This was uh, beginning of 2013. All right. So 2013, you start this. What did it start as? Just a blog? Were you monetizing it at that point? Did you have information products? What was the, the mechanism in order to make money? And that was, I'm assuming that was the goal for starting this website was about you know, making money, passive income, and being an entrepreneur, what did you start doing in terms of generating income and revenue from this website? Yeah, that was definitely the goal. Uh, I had 
almost no traffic at the beginning. I was just writing kind of like on my lunch breaks, evenings and weekends. Um, I didn't have any ads or anything on the site. I had an ebook uh, that I was selling for, I think, like $20 or something. And I actually remember the fir first time I talked to you, you were like, I'm going to make a video. You're like, you need to make videos, but I'm going to make a video for you and I'm going to promote your ebook. I think that's still the bet, the biggest sales day I've had <laughs> was, it was that video. Cause it, cause that's it's not, awesome. you know, it's, it's hard to, I mean, you know, you, you, you had a product for a while. It's hard to sell style advice. Like there's so much good advice out there for free. So that's never been a big, like moneymaker for me, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I also sort of, you know, when we were starting back in the 13s, 14s, 15s, it was very in, info product heavy. You know, there were the sites like, um, you know, the art of manliness, you know, that was kind of, you know, I think in all of our minds, like that was, you know, the creme de la creme in terms of traffic ads, making money. And when I started yeah. my website, I was thinking, oh, I just need to get a ton of traffic and I'm going to make money off of, off of the ads. Uh, but I was like, okay, let me try making some type of information product. What I came to realize about myself is that I just hate writing. I'm not good at it. And I don't enjoy that, that mechanism or platform. And so how, what, okay. So your first year in business, do you remember how much money you generated from this website? Because that's one of the things that you did on, or you do, you haven't done it in a while, but your YouTube channel will sort of go down the, the rabbit hole and sort of pull back the curtains on, on revenue in terms of your business. And I thought, I think that's a incredibly inspiring. It's also scary. And the other thing that's interesting is that I think it's really helpful for so many people that are kind of thinking, you know, about this entrepreneurial journey or maybe starting a business. You know, you see what you see is these really successful people and how much, you know, they're buying and flipping Ferraris every like three mm -hmm. weeks or something like that. But that's not reality. That's not reality for 99.999% of the entrepreneurs out there. And so, what did you do in terms of your first year of revenue on The Modest Man? Because it was, it was primarily the ebook at first. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about affiliate links in a second, but um, you know, what did you do? I think it was about $6,000. Boom. Yeah. You quit your job? <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried and then I came crawling back, you know? <laughs> yeah. So about six, $6,000. All right. So, so fast forward a little bit. How how did you then sort of transition or pivot from the single solo information product to actually generating more revenue? What was the, what was the mechanism or mindset behind that? Yeah. I mean, my, my background and what I was really interested in was SEO, which is search engine optimization. It's basically, it's the best way to get traffic to a website right now, you know, on the internet and it's getting traffic from Google. When someone Googles, how long should my jeans be? You're, if you're the first thing that shows up, you're going to get a massive amount of traffic from that. Once you have the traffic, you can monetize it in any you know variety of ways, affiliate, display ads, eBooks, whatever. Um, getting the traffic is the hard part. So I, I really went deep into SEO. Like I learned a lot about it. I was doing freelance SEO work. I had other sites that I was just building to experiment on. Um, and I was kind of taking everything I learned and, you know, working on the modest man. And, um, you know, it's, it started to work. I so you know, I, I got zero traffic at the beginning. Eventually I was getting 5,000 visits a month and 10,000. And, you know, now it's almost half a million. So it's, you know, a website, um, probably unlike a lot of social media platforms, it's very like linear growth. You know, it's not so volatile where you have like a lot of virality built in. If you're doing SEO, you're just going to get more traffic over time. And that's kind of what happened. So yeah, that's sort of been the tactic. 
Okay. Talk a little bit about affiliates. And, and so for, for people out there, you know, one of the hard things when you start a website or a, or a business is, okay, well, how do I make, you know, how do I make money? Now, one of the beautiful things about, you know, just getting started is there are all sorts of opportunities to generate revenue and refer people to products like that there weren't necessarily back in 2013, 14, 15. I mean, this has been, and it has grown, you know, exponentially in terms of the ability to gain, you know, affiliate money and revenue. So explain a little bit about what that affiliate model sort of looks like to the audience out there, Brock. Yeah, I think the the best way to explain it is like whenever you Google something, let's say you Googled best slim wallet, which by the way, if you Google that right now, pretty sure you're going to see the modest man. But um, if you Google something <laughs> like I? that, I, I think you might, it should be, should be top one or two. And then you click on that article, you see the list of wallets and you, and you click on one of the links, it takes you to like Amazon or somewhere else and you buy a wallet. The publisher that, that published that list will get a commission. And a lot of people don't know that, but that's like, that's how the internet works, you know? And so there's a lot of incentive to publish content like that. The other, the other one um, that works really well is like a product review. So if you're about to buy like a new iPhone and you Google iPhone SE2 review, whichever link you click on before you buy it, that publisher is going to get a commission. So it's kind of a, it's a good way to monetize content when you don't have a sponsor um, or if you don't want a sponsor um, or just in addition to sponsored, you know, revenue. Uh, it's, it's kind of a good passive way to monetize your content, especially if you're writing about like buying intent stuff, like product reviews and buying guides. Talk a little bit about sort of the type of content that you're putting out. I, I think that it was so funny because uh, I remember that one of the, like, I don't remember much Brock, but one time you and I were on Tanner Guzzi's podcast or, or being interviewed and, um, and you made a reference to, um, you know, he was he was basically interviewing us about, you know, being short and, and short style and tips and things of that nature. And you made the comment that nobody's told Aaron he's short yet. Yeah. <laughs> it made me it made me it made me laugh. But that's like that was a huge compliment to me because, you know, growing up short, I think that, you know, one of the downsides to sort of, I mean, society or whatever it may be, is that a lot of guys that are of shorter statue or stature they sort of almost view it as like a handicap as, you know, it's like, this is the reason why I can't do X, Y, and Z. And it's so sad to me that, that people really sort of have that mindset. What is sort of your sort of takeaway and what is something and a tip that you would give somebody that is suffering a bit with self-esteem revolving around maybe their height? Yeah. It's so, it's so varied because like on one side of the spectrum, you have people like you who literally it's like you, you still think you're like six, four or something, you know? (laughs) And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who it's like crippling anxiety because of their height, you know, crippling insecurity. And there's a lot of people in between. I'm I'm somewhere in between. And the older I get, the more I go to like, you know, the more confidence I get. But I, I think the reason I focus on style for shorter guys is because it's such an, out of all the things you can do to kind of like feel more confident about yourself, dressing well is pretty easy. All things considered, like, buying different clothes, learning about colors, getting your clothes tailored. It's not that hard compared to like transforming your body in the gym or something. So that's kind of why I focus on that advice. And then I think beyond that, like there's all sorts of things you can do, you know, to to increase your confidence, but you can't change your height. And so when people keep dwelling on it, like, I just want to like shake them out of it. Say like, just stop thinking about it because you, you will never change it. And no one did anything to deserve it. It's like tall people didn't do anything to deserve being tall. Short people didn't do anything either. So 
like, forget it. I like, just don't, don't even waste your time and mental energy on it. Um, and so I, I think that's why I kind of focus on like, I see like the low hanging fruit of self-improvement. And then once you do start dressing better, you're like, okay, I kind of want to work out now. Like I kind of want to go out and meet people now. Cause you start to feel better about yourself. So that's kind of my goal is just for like, I just want guys who are like feeling bad because they're shorter to like feel cool, you know, and feel good about themselves. Absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing about, about style is that it's almost like visual smoke and mirrors by choosing the right clothes, the right colors, the right fit. You can do even like hairstyle. I mean, you can do some dramatic things that, that makes a dramatic difference on, you know, the appearance or your, your visual height. And so Brock, what would you say would be your top one or two sort of tips for somebody who's a little bit shorter in order to look as tall and imposing and sexy as possible. I mean, it's like, it's played out, but like clothing fit is definitely the number one. You just got to, every time I leave my house, I see guys wearing baggy clothes that are too big and it's usually too big. It's usually not too small. Um, so I'd say like number one, size down, get a tailor. That's it. You know? Um, and then you can do stuff beyond that. Like wear monochromatic outfits, you know, you know, there's other stuff you can do, get a better haircut, wear better shoes, but number one is just make sure your clothes fit. And if you do that, you're honestly going to be ahead of like 90% of guys. So talk a little bit about, about the market of, of clothes for uh, shorter men, you know, because this is one of the things that growing up and even, I mean, really up until a few years ago was the most challenging thing, you know, going into like the gap or banana Republic and trying to buy a pair of jeans you know, it was basically 30, like a 30 inch mm -hmm. inseam. That was, that was it. And then, you know, they started, actually, I remember express was kind of like the first sort of store that I remember that actually made like slim fit, you know, dress shirts. There was, you know, kind of Kenneth Cole was doing it, but it was this whole sort of like morphing and, 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 and sort of changing of the guard at one point where it was like, okay, guys need to be wearing or want to be wearing clothes that actually fit them a little bit better. And then it's, 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 it's gotten better, but it's never really sort of caught on is yeah. as much as, as, you know, I would think it would. So talk a little bit about resources for guys that are a little bit shorter in terms of where to go to find clothes that are stylish and actually fit them and their body. That's yeah, funny. You mentioned express. That was the first pair of jeans that I got that I remember really loving. I was like, wow, I look cool in jeans, you know? Um, so yeah, there are some specialty niche brands out there now that are making clothes specifically for shorter guys. And I think that's good if you really don't want to go to the tailor or if you have trouble with like outerwear, like leather jackets, stuff that's really hard to tailor. Um, I would definitely check out those brands. But honestly, a lot of mainstream brands are sort of taking notice now. Like you can go to J. Crew, Bonobos, Banana Republic, and you can get 28, 28 pants, you know. Um, Lululemon has joggers with 27 inseams. So I think mainstream brands are expanding their sizes a little bit because guys are just being more picky. They're kind of demanding better fitting clothing. Um, but if you're not happy with what you're finding at the mall, I definitely recommend like the Peter Mannings and Ashton Eries and under five tens and those brands, because it's going to be a, a magical shopping experience when you try that for the first time. It really was. And that was kind of like the first time I, I um, got experience with, with Peter Manning. Um, you know, it was, it was amazing. I was like, wait a second. You know, I put on, I put on pants that actually fit me. And it was like, it, I almost started crying, honestly, because yeah. it was like, you know what, this is, you know, as, as guys that are a little bit shorter or have, you know, difficult bodies, finding clothes that actually fit you and, and that you like, and that are actually stylish. It's not the easiest, easiest thing in the world. 
Um, talk a little bit about, about some of the struggles that you've gone through in terms of entrepreneurship, Brock, because I think that's one of the things that a lot of people have the idea or romanticize the concept of being in business for yourself, right? Oh, it sounds great. It's amazing, right? You get to work for yourself. You know, how easy, right? Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about, about the downside or some of maybe the struggles or hurdles that you've had to overcome working for yourself and, and doing this business that you've done. Yeah, there's there's a... Uh... There's a lot of them, you know, to be honest, like I was, <laughs> I was just looking at uh, my notes from, I, I, the first time I met you and Antonio and Ryan Masters uh, at, at, uh, in Anaheim, like when I got back to my like hotel room, I just like took all these notes, you know, I was like, these guys are awesome. And like, here's the advice. And um, I remember like, p- part of my notes, it was like, you have to do more basically. Like you have to make more content. You have to be on YouTube. You have to just do more, you know, like if you want to, grow and, and do this full time, you can't, you can't kind of half-ass it and like write a blog post every now and then and, and hope for money to come in. So I think people like really underestimate how much work you have to do to replace a full-time income. And, and that's after expenses, taxes, you find your own health insurance. Like there's all this other stuff. So if you have a job that's paying $50,000 a year and you want to replace that with like YouTube or something, you have to make a lot more than $50,000 in ad revenue um, to replace that. And that's, that's hundreds of videos, you know, and and I think people really underestimate how long they're going to have to work for free before they actually take any money out of their business. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, uh, what would you say, where is the, uh, where's the bulk of your revenue coming from? What's the breakdown just so that people have an idea if, if you don't mind sharing that Brock. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, I still do the income reports. I just put them on a different site. So I, I started a site called fulltimeblog.com. And I basically keep the income reports there just because it, it didn't really make sense to have them on the modest man anymore. Um, but right now it's about half of it is from display ads from the website. Um, and I use this company called ad thrive. They manage all the display ads. And Did you see really a huge good. drop when COVID hit? Very temporary. Okay. So there was like a week when uh, COVID was just getting serious and there was also a lot of like the civil unrest around BLM. And during that week, like advertisers just stopped spending money, you know, but that recovered much quicker than I thought it was. And it's actually been like 2020 was like by far the best year I've had. In fact, February was the best month I've had um, this February. This February? Yeah. This February? This February. Yeah. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. Why? What, what do you think? What, do you, what, what is the reasoning behind that? Do you think? I think part of it is there, there's a little bit of a trailing effect with um, like affiliate revenue. So November and December are always really good months. And a lot of times you won't get paid out for 30 to 60 days. So sometimes you're January and February for a website business, you're a little, um, they're a little padded because you get some of that holiday money that actually paid out in January and February. Okay. Oh, all right. So, so you said half is from the web website in terms of display ads. So half, half is from display ads on the website. Um, on the website, uh, the other, another, like maybe 30, 40% is affiliate. Um, and then there's, you know, some sponsored stuff on the website, YouTube, like almost, it's like 80% sponsored and then 20% YouTube ad revenue. And so what, what percentage does YouTube make up of, of your, your income these days? It's about a third. Um, but since YouTube is, so I guess the way I monetize YouTube is with sponsorships, like it varies from one month to the next. I can get 
two big sponsorships in a month. And that's going to be like a really good month for YouTube. The next month I don't do anything. And it's, you know, it's like peanuts because YouTube ad revenue for me, at least isn't that, isn't that high. How do you maintain, this is a, I think a question that a lot of, a lot of people that are, that are thinking about creating content, whether or not it's YouTube or on a, a website, how do you maintain and balance sponsorship with credibility? I think this is something that, uh, you know, it, it's a question that comes up. And I think that mm-hmm. a lot of people, when they start, you know, they think, oh, I want to make money. You know, sponsorship, just throwing it out there is one of the easiest ways. If you have an audience and you have a sponsor to make a lot of money, because, yeah. you know, depending on your audience, depending on your niche, depending on your influence, you know, some of these sponsors, you know, make, can, will pay you a lot of money. Now, the difficult thing, and this is something that that I had to figure out, and I think everybody has to figure out at some point, is is how do you maintain that credibility but still be able to promote, you know, a product that you love? Being selective for me was one of the things that I had to learn, you know, pretty fast. There was one per product that I promoted that I promoted, and I was like, I don't know that I feel a hundred percent about this, and immediately I knew that it was a huge mistake, and I decided I would never promote anything like that again. How do you balance that, Brock, in, in terms of, of being a being able to promote products but still maintain your credibility? That is a really hard dilemma. And I'll be honest, like I was very much up against the sponsored content model for a long time. I mean, me and you have had conversations about this. And um there was a long time where I felt like it was it was gonna be hard for me at least to to have integrity and also do a lot of sponsored content, which isn't true, by the way. Um, that's just how I felt for a while. And I think the way that I, I guess the workaround that I have, or the way that I, I can feel good about it is you just have to do it in, in a way that uh, makes sense for you. So like, obviously don't work with brands that you don't believe in. I've done that too. And it doesn't feel good. And you know, it's not worth a few thousand dollars, like in the long run. But, um, I think for a while when I saw, I saw the way that you were doing your videos and, and integrating sponsors. And I thought that was the only way. Not, not only to integrate a sponsor, but also to actually do a video. I'm, my early videos, if you look at them, I'm literally doing the, like your thing where you like move a few steps and like cut it there. And like, and, and I'm like trying to like yell at the camera and stuff. And like, it's not working. Cause I'm not, we have different, you know, personalities. And, um, and, and so after, after, and it wasn't, it wasn't working like the way, the way I was, I was trying to do sponsorships wasn't working. So eventually I just said, okay, here's the way I want to do sponsorships. I'm going to do them. I basically have two options. One is a non-dedicated video and it's a commercial. It's, it's like you would do a, a podcast sponsorship, mm-hmm. 60 second commercial and, and it's cheaper for the sponsor. And I do those all the time. Like almost all, most of my videos have that because it's easy to plug that into an existing video. The other kind is a dedicated video. It's much more expensive. I very rarely do these because most brands don't want to pay for it. Um, and it's a fully dedicated video. So I actually craft the content around the sponsor. I did one of those recently with eBay and it was, it was awesome. Like we, we were both really happy with it. What did you sell? Was it a watch? It was for their, um, their new certified watch, uh, pre-owned watch program. Really? I saw a bunch of people doing it. I was so jealous. I'm like, (laughs) like everybody's getting Rolexes. (laughs) (laughs) It it was like, what kind uh, of, I I think is that, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, uh, uh, um, the Explorer. Yeah, the Explorer. Exactly. It was a specific. I remember watching that that video. I think you actually posted a question about a thumbnail for that video, right? I did. And you I said, responded. You DM. Yeah, yeah. You're like that one. That's the that one. one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no. And and so 
so you did a dedicated video, but, but that was, how did that work in terms of, because they're a big, huge, you know, obviously brand. Um, what was that process like? Can you tell everybody sort of what the, what the process looks like in terms of working with a big, you know, company or entity like an eBay? Yeah. It's so when it's a big company like that, it's almost always through an agency. Sometimes it's even through two agencies. Like if you have a manager, your manager is talking to an agency that's running this campaign for the brand. So it's a lot of people, there's a lot of legalities, very detailed talking points. And this is an example, like for eBay, they had, they had a way they wanted to do it. And they, they basically said, we, you know, we want to, we want you to buy a watch through this program and we'll reimburse part of it. And it's, it's a watch up to this value. And this is an example of like pushing back on a sponsor. I said, listen, I can't just buy a random watch on eBay and promote it because my audience they're going to say this is so random, like it is just a commercial, but they know that I've talked about this specific watch a lot and I was going to buy it anyway, one day. So if I could buy that specific watch and I'll, and I'll cover it, um, this video would do well. And, and it would, it would be a really nice integration. They agreed. And so it was, you know, I felt really good about it. Um, and it was very natural and it wasn't like out of left field for the audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? But yeah, I mean, that video, it took forever, like just the whole process of like buying it through the program, like getting it shipped and like, like making sure you hit all the like little legal talking points. And so that's one thing I do these days is like, when I present a video to the sponsor, like sometimes I'll even send them the script. Cause like, I don't want to do edits or like do a remake, you know, especially when it's a big brand like that. So that was actually, they were like a delight to work with. It was, it was a really good project. Yeah, I, I tell people that the bigger the brand and the bigger the agency, the typically the bigger pain in the ass it is to actually work with them. There's much more legalese. There's much more, you know. Now, now that being said, I, I recently worked with a Citizen for a smartwatch, hmm. and um, and it was like, yeah, these are they they didn't even really send talking points. They're like, this is the watch. There really wasn't even a link, and so it was it was a great great op opportunity to to talk about them. Um, you know, it's funny just and for people out there listening, you know. One thing and tip I will give you in terms of if you want to create a business and actually make a living from creating content, the first thing I would recommend is do not start making content with the idea that I'm going to get rich off of this. You know, that is something that I think a lot of people sort of are doing nowadays uh, because you see a lot of these successful YouTubers or content creators, you know, and you think, oh, they're making all this money. And so you go into it with the idea of I'm going to make money. When Brock and I started this, it was not to make, you know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was simply because we had a perspective. We had something that we loved that we wanted to share and create value and, and give value to the audience. You know, it's about creating that message and putting content out there that connects with a, an audience. You will, if you can, if you can do that successfully and give value and give people information, you will figure out the money that will come. Don't worry about it, but don't start with that intention. The other thing I would say is do not plant your flag in the ground that I am never going to do this. I am never going to do that. I, because this and that typically has a funny way of changing. I'll give you an example of somebody who does, who did that, who made an absolute mistake. And it was, it was Ashley Weston, right? Mm -hmm. So Ashley Weston She's got a great channel, her and Dorian. Well, they were going really hard on the, we don't, you know, our, our advice is better because we're not ever taking any sponsorship money. Yeah. And so, you know, and so they really like hammered home on that, you know, it's never sponsored. It's never sponsored. It's never sponsored. 
Well, then all of a sudden they decide, okay, well, maybe we can take some sponsorships. And so they did a sponsored re- review of, uh, of white minimal sneakers. All and right. one of which was paying them to sort of, and so if you, you, okay. So number one takeaway from that is don't ever say you're not going to do it. You can do it in a tasteful way that is still consistent with authenticity and being, you know, honest and all that. But when you try to actually do a sponsored, sponsored video, do not sort of compare things and, and try to make it feel like it's not sponsored and then have the sponsor be the best. Lo and behold, you've got to really think through the process before just, you know, throwing something out there. Yeah. People aren't, people aren't dumb. Like they, people see right through what you're doing and it's better just to tell them. And that's like, like my kind of ground rule is like, I don't do sponsored reviews and that that's it. So that's right. If it's a review, it's not sponsored. And and if a brand wants like a focus on one product, I'll say, okay, it could be like an unboxing or something, but it's not going to be, it's not going to say X, Y, Z review. Cause I think reviews should be unsponsored, you know? And I do think that some people get in trouble when they kind of plant that flag and they're like, wait a minute, actually you can make a lot of money this way. And I remember <laughs> the first, the first big sponsorship I did, it was right after talking to you. Um, I, I talked to you about, uh, the fifth, the, the fifth had just launched. They were working with a lot of, uh, content creators. And I think you actually told me, you, you said charge 2,500 for, for this was my full package at the time. It was blog post, video, everything. He said, charge 2,500. And I thought that's insane. Like no one will ever pay that. That's so much money. And I remember telling them 2,500 and they didn't even bat an eye. They were just like, when can you have it? And I was like, man, that's like more money than I'm going to make from affiliate and ads and everything else for, for months, you know? And I think that's really powerful because if you do want to have a business, like you have to have revenue, you know, and if you want to buy a better camera and you, you know, a better laptop, you have to have revenue and sponsored content is a great way to get revenue. And, and there's totally a way to do it. You know, you can sleep at night and, and the audience appreciates it even. You know, the other thing that I, I just want to throw out there is your audience expects you to make money. Your audience expects you to be, you know, financially at some point rewarded for the value and the content that you're putting out. And in today's world, everybody kind of expects if you are going to be consuming some piece of content on the internet, they almost expect you to have some type of, you know, spot or an advertisement or some type of something. It's not as out of left field as it was, you know, seven, eight years ago. Now it's very common and you don't need to be embarrassed about it. You don't need to, you know, shy away from it. You just need to be true to yourself and the products that you're promoting. Um, talk a little bit about, about some of your biggest mistakes along the entrepreneurial journey, Brock. What was it oh, like? Is, was there like a mistake or two that you're like, man, why? The, like looking back, it, you obviously see it now. I think that's one of the valuable lessons, I think, you know, for, for giving, you know, people a little bit of insight into, uh, you know, some mistakes maybe that you made. Yeah, I think, I think one is just not, um, it's funny because I, I gave the advice earlier, like you got to like stick with it. It's going to take a while. And I think for me, it was very, very hard to get into YouTube and, uh, I just resisted it. Like I didn't like the process of creating videos. I didn't feel comfortable on camera and, you know, a few hundred videos later, now it's not that hard. Like it, it's, it, I mean, I still don't, I don't love it all the time. There's some days where I'm like, I don't want to make a video today, but, um, it's just that the barrier of entry is so much lower. And I, I think I could have, I could have had a million subscribers by now, you know, if I just had kind of took YouTube seriously earlier, 
um, I really resisted it. And, and I think, you know, it's funny. I see myself doing that now with like TikTok and other platforms. Like, ah, I don't really want to do that. Like, I, you know, I want to focus on the website. I'm comfortable over here. So I, I guess the mistake would be sort of resisting, um, these platforms that are inevitable. Like it's inevitable. TikTok is, is going to be one of the most popular long-term platforms. You know, I'm not saying you have to be everywhere, but don't, don't ignore the writing on the wall. Mm. Um, I think one of the other uh, mistakes I made was, um, and I still do this, is just not not asking for help, not getting any help, whether it's paid or free. Um, you know, one example could be literally just asking for help, asking for someone like you to help promote. Um, and another example would be like hiring a video editor. Like that was a game changer for me because I, I would spend I would spend ten hours editing a video just because I'm you know s- such a perfectionist, and it, it didn't even make it that much better, you know. And now I have this amazing editor who does a better job than I ever could. Um, and if I have a sponsor, like it pays for the editor many times, you know. So I think that was something um, I continue to struggle with: just letting go of stuff that I don't actually have to do. And then when I do let go of it, I just see the growth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same thing with me. And and for people listening, you're absolutely right. You know, I am I am a late adopter to everything. The only thing I wasn't a late adopter on was YouTube. Yeah. And it was just because I had a video camera and a big mouth. And so that is one of the things that, that I have learned over the years and I continue to learn. And you would think that at this point of being taught the lesson so many times that you wouldn't sort of resist, but but you've got to be willing to get uncomfortable if you ever want to basically grow or succeed. You know, growth happens when we change and challenge ourselves. you know, whether or not that's, you know, emotionally, spiritually, professionally, that's when, for me, at least, that's when I see the most growth is when I, when I step outside of my box, you know, I was, I was hugely against TikTok, you know, just, I'm like, I'm not TikTok. And then I remember a mutual friend, John, uh, Shanahan was like, dude, I'm the alpha M of TikTok. I'm like, what? I, and this was bad down in Houston when we all got together um, last year. And uh, and so, yeah. And I'm like, what this TikTok? I'm like, that's ah, for kids. I don't dance. I don't want to do that. And then sure enough, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Ryan McGinn was like, hey, for you know, a little bit of money, I'll make all your videos and you don't have to do anything. And it was like, all right, you know, for that amount of money, I'm just going to let you do it. And it was like, all of a sudden, boom, it, it kind of started growing. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm on TikTok and I'm killing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so so you just got to be willing to sort of take that risk and, and step outside of, of your box in order to be uncomfortable. All right, Brock. So tell everybody out there, we're wrapping things up here. What is your best piece of, but actually, actually, hang on a second. What happened to the podcast? Brock, what happened to the podcast, man? So yeah, me and John, we have a podcast called the buttoned up podcast. We've had you on the show, uh, really fun. But so John, John has like 16 kids. He's, he's got, he's like a partner in Strix. He's got, a he's got the Cavalier. He's very busy for a while. I was also very busy. I was, I was working with Peter Manning. I have my stuff going on. I had a crazy move last year, a crazy stressful move. And we just got to the point where we're like, let's just hit pause on this for a while. Cause it was fun but we weren't, it wasn't a business. We weren't making any money. You know, it wasn't growing that much. It was just fun. And, uh, I, I would like to start it up again in the future, but I don't want to like, I want to do it right. You know, like I want to have the time to like research the, the guest and ask questions and stuff. Um, so I love the format. I love, I listen to podcasts all the time. So maybe we'll boot it up in the future. All right. That sounds good. All right. Now back to my question. Somebody's out there thinking about maybe someday, you know, starting a business 
where would you say they start if they have, you know, maybe an idea? Do you think a website is a good place to start? Or where would, where would you recommend somebody sort of dive in if somebody's thinking about being an entrepreneur? So I, I still believe in websites. I actually just bought another site. It's all about, all about watches. So I, I still think um, there's a lot of money to be made in, in, what's, in the, what's the content. domain? It's what's called the, the, the slenderwrist.com. Um, yeah. It about was, small wrist dudes? It kind of, yeah. It's, it's kind of like okay. the monster sort of has a niche, but then also like general content. Um, it already has traffic. Like and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to apply my process to it. I think it's going to be a, a really big site. Um, Wait, so was one, it an existing site or is it something that you recently? It's it an existing already- site. Yeah. So basically there, there's a, there's a guy, um, this guy named, uh, Alessandro Perta and he's has a YouTube channel called time squared. Really cool guy, uh, really knowledgeable about watches. He had had a website called the slender wrist and a YouTube channel, the same name. He basically decided he didn't want to do blogging anymore. Just wanted to focus on YouTube. So we changed his YouTube channel name and I've been telling him for like months. I was like, dude, when you're ready to sell your site, I'll buy it. And, uh, he was finally ready a few months ago. So I, uh, I just got that and I'm really excited about that. So I, I'm firm believer in websites. I think it's a great, so, okay. Business. So ready, ready, ready. You, you don't have to tell, but okay. So I own the, uh, the domain enemy.com. I paid $43,700 for that. How much did you buy the slenderwrist.com for? I bought it for about 28,000. Really mm-hmm. good for him. Good for you. So yeah. you're all, you're all in, you're going for it. Yeah. I mean, my, my sort of like midterm goal is to, I'm thinking about selling the modestman.com website and uh, focusing on this new website and YouTube and, and kind of, you know, changing YouTube, just my name. And so it'd be more of like a, a general personal brand channel, I guess. I love that. Do you think, um, do you think there's somebody that would buy the modestman.com as it is? There are. I've actually gotten. I've, really? I've heard from a lot of potential buyers. Yeah. Any, any, anything like really kind of interesting? There is. A, yeah. There are. There is some interesting stuff, and and multiples are going up on websites right now. So it's it seems like a really good time to sell. Next year might even be a better time. <laughs> um, so that's really? kind of yeah. No way, Brock. This is awesome. I am so excited. Um. So okay. So do you think it's probably going to happen? I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting on, um, I'm actually, it's a funny time and going through a valuation process right now with, with a potential buyer. Um, I don't know if it's quite there yet because it's, it's growing. Like the site has grown a lot in the past year, like traffic is like way up. So, you know, part of me is like, I'll just ride this out for a little while. Um, but you know, for the right price, I would, I would do it now and, uh, just have like, you know, have a little cash in the bank. I mean, it's a good business, but like, Part of me wants like a little bit of a war chest and just to be able to like do other things eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking about. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd recommend that anybody starts a website from scratch unless they sort of know what they're doing. They have a little bit of a background in SEO um, or social media. I think that uh, YouTube, TikTok are great platforms. Instagram, take it or leave it. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of recommend like doing what makes sense for you. So like, if you hate writing, you love being in front of the camera, YouTube, if you're camera shy and you love writing and, and are willing to learn about SEO, start a blog, you know, Andy at primer, Andy, perfect example. Great website. <laughs> Great website. Hates the camera, but his videos are so good too. Have you seen I his videos? I have now and Baron's another one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Baron, so- he's, he's like up against YouTube a little bit, but he, he is putting in more effort and, 
effortless gems putting in more effort. And, uh, I think he could be big on YouTube too, but, but he has a very healthy website business, you know? Yeah, no. And that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Congratulations that you got to keep me posted on, on the website, um, potential sale. One of the, uh, one of, uh, do you remember Tristano or no Tristano from, uh, the urban gentry, Mm -hmm. you know, he had, uh, I don't know what the details are. I don't know what happened, but I do know that, that, um, a big company in Philadelphia actually went in and, and basically bought his, his YouTube channel. And he, you know, it, it, it's great. I mean, congratulations. That's, that's exciting. I think that as an entrepreneur, I think everybody romanticizes this idea of, of an exit, right? Some, you build mm-hmm. something and you're able to, you know, build value and then sell it to somebody. I think that's something that I think is, is incredibly exciting. And, um, you know, I, th- I know Antonio is wanting to do that at some point too. He's hoping, you know, with, with all of the content and articles and SEO that somebody would be interested, but it's because yours was specific. It sounds like that is why somebody is interested in, in your website possibly. Well, it's not. So th- there are like, you know, strategic buyers, which would say, which would be like a J crew would buy a men's style blog. But most of the people that I've heard from so far are small media companies. So they're people who, who they're companies who have a portfolio of websites. So basically they're just looking for a website that is generating passive income and they're going to add it to their portfolio. They already have writers and everything. Um, and that's, that's mostly who, who I've heard from. If I got a good offer, I might go to some, some fashion brands and, you know, see if, see if someone else wanted to buy it. Cause you know, if I were running like, I don't know, even like an Ashenary or Peter Manning or even a bigger company, I think that'd be a smart move, you know, to, to buy up some blogs and kind of remove all the ads and put ads to your stuff and links yeah. to your stuff. Um, I think that'd be a really smart move. So that's one option too. Excellent. Brock, any yeah. final words to uh, the gentleman out there to, uh, to follow you or any place to go? We're going to link to everything down below. It's themodestman.com and the modest man on YouTube, anywhere else. What else? Hold on. What else is going on with you? Anything else in the future other than this? I guess we kind of talked about it. The slenderwrist.com. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm really excited about. Like just I love watches and I've gotten more into them. So having a place to like do all that content. Um, I'm enjoying YouTube now. Like YouTube's an emotional roller coaster, you know. When it's up, I'm in a great mood. It's down, I'm 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 depressed. So it's I'm about know, to jump off a building today, as as a matter of fact. Yes, oh, I, yeah. know that, I know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's volatile. It's volatile. So I'm I'm glad I have like some stable income elsewhere. Um, but but yeah, just you know, I'm trying to make good videos. And I don't put out a lot of stuff, but I'm trying to make everyone like really good. Uh, I want I want it to three years later. I want it to still be a good video, you know. So yeah, check that out. And no, otherwise, man, just thanks for having me. Um, again, thanks for being in my life. Been a great friend over the years, and uh, I appreciate it. No, Brock, thank you so much. Guys, if you want to go check out Brock's stuff, which I highly recommend you do, go to themodestman.com, go to The Modest Man on YouTube or theslenderwrist.com, which is exciting. And I can't wait to go because I also have a slender wrist and um, and I also love watches. Brock, thank you so much, man. Continued success. Please keep me updated on your uh, potential sale of your business. I that That is amazing and super exciting. And, um, you know, the hardest thing is going to be because you've built your identity around this, the hardest mm-hmm. thing for you is going to be, okay, here you go. Toss somebody the keys and, and move forward. But uh, you know what? Sometimes, you know, you, uh, you got to do what you got to do. And, and mm-hmm. I wish you nothing but the best. That's incredible. Congratulations, Brock. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. See you next week.
Gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you dug it, make sure to drop us a review, also a rating, as this helps the podcast reach more incredible gentlemen just like yourself. And don't forget to subscribe because it's free and you don't want to miss another incredible episode. Guys, thank you so much for your continued support. I think you're amazing. And don't forget how awesome you are.